We are a resource for learners, including every member of the Livestrong Cancer Institute's on-track educational pipeline from middle school to residency. We are a growing collection of interviews, talks, and experiences that uncover the myths and the uncertainties of cancer and careers in cancer in order to empower and inspire generations of thinkers and leaders. This is Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes. Welcome back to Cancer Uncovered, an education and empowerment podcast by the Livestrong Cancer Institutes, an emerging academic cancer center at Dell Medical School, which is part of the University of Texas at Austin. This is Kristen Wynn, Senior Program Coordinator with the LCI, happy to be back in your earbuds this month as we take a deeper dive into the work and career journey of Dr. Lelia Noel. As you may recall from Episode 7, Health Disparities and Cancer, Dr. Noel talked about her work in community-based cancer research and helped us understand why we need to focus on disparities in cancer care and cancer research and how to move forward. If you have not listened to that episode yet, I would highly recommend it. It is worth all 28 minutes of your time. Lelia Noel is an assistant professor at the Steve Hicks School of Social Work and also has an appointment with Dell Medical School's Department of Health Social Work and the Department of Oncology at the University of Texas at Austin. I absolutely loved getting the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Noel. She is so inviting, so real, and such an amazing example of perseverance. Listen to this interview to find out more about her work and career journey in social work, cancer, and community-based research, but also because she reminds us that you can turn your own heartbreak into what pushes you forward. Dr. Noel, hello. Welcome back. Hello, Kristen. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So great to have you. I wanted for our listeners, I wanted them to hear from you about how you got here and how you ended up doing this type of work. Okay. So first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me back to the table. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation that I had with you and, and Dr. James a couple weeks ago. And I want to also say that I am so impressed with those students who are taking the time to listen to a podcast like this, because when I was in middle school and high school, I knew that I wanted to be in the healthcare field, but I didn't have a resource like this to be able to find a mentor or to be able to hear from people who have done amazing work in the field who look like me. I'm an African-American woman from Michigan who, you know, grew up with a teenage mom who did the best she could to raise me. And I didn't know anyone who was a doctor. I didn't know anyone who was working in healthcare policy or health administration. And so I really appreciate podcasts like this and other opportunities that you you and the Livestrong folks are offering to these students. It's really amazing. Um, So that being said, I think that, first of all, I have a PhD in social work. And I also have an undergraduate degree, a Bachelor of Science from the University of Michigan. And I was a pre-med student at Michigan, but I majored in anthropology because I've always been interested in people and how people live and what do they need to live well. 
So I majored in anthropology, even though I was a pre-med student. And then I moved to Chicago when I graduated from my bachelor's from the University of Michigan, where I worked for a year at a drug treatment center with the teenagers on the inpatient unit before starting my master's in social service administration. And I actually had a concentration in health administration and public policy from the University of Chicago. And it was during that time at the University of Chicago when I was studying health policy and health administration that I started to first learn about disparities, to learn about inequities in health. Even though I grew up, my family may not have had the best healthcare platform, I still didn't understand why there were differences across the country. And here I was in a program, a, a very prestigious program at the University of Chicago, and yet there were still people in Chicago who were dying from health-related diseases. And I was really confused as a all of like 23-year-old or something like that as to yeah. what was happening in the world. So I decided instead of going to medical school that I would continue to work in the community a little bit after graduating with my master's degree. And I still kind of wanted to get a medical degree, but I started working for a clinic in the far south side of Chicago called Altgirl Gardens. And it was a Section 8 housing community. And while I was there, I was the assistant to the medical director. And actually, literally, like when I finished my master's, I went down there and said, I want to be you someday. I want to get an MD and I want to run a clinic and I want to help people, you know. And so she's like, okay, so why don't you be my assistant for a little while and you can see what happens. And that's when I started learning about differences in insurance and uninsured. And when I saw how socially isolated communities were, this community was so far removed from Chicago that the train system didn't even go this far south. They literally would have had to take a couple buses just to get to a train to take it to downtown. That's how far. They were also removed by a wall of sanitation. Like they would take the the sanitation dump. They were on the opposite side of that from the city. So they were surrounded by this environmental atmosphere that was not conducive to good health. So as a result, this community was experiencing high rates of asthma, high rates of cancer, um, diabetes, heart disease. There was a lot happening in this community, which again, confused me, broke my heart because I couldn't understand why are we not as a country providing proper healthcare to everyone. But it also opened my eyes to systematic inequities, that there's so much more to this story than just genetics and biology. So I think that's when my eyes first started to open. I started working for the American Cancer Society in Chicago. I was originally the field representative for the south side of Chicago. So I was living out of my trunk of my car, helping people understand when to get screened and where they can go for screening. So that education piece. But I quickly became the uh, manager of cancer control programs for the city of Chicago, which meant that I worked with all the hospitals and all the nursing departments to provide what they needed for patient support services. And then I moved back to Michigan as the executive director of the American Cancer Society's office in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that was responsible for three counties surrounding Ann Arbor. One county was very rural. Mm -hmm. One county was a little more urban around Ann Arbor, college town. And then one county was very poor, 
There was very few resources, very few primary care physicians, very few dentists. It was just very uh, resource poor. So I got a kind of a feel for the differences and then what the needs were and how to sort of distribute the American Cancer Society's resources equitably. After being executive director, I took a job in Detroit as the manager of community and corporate health for Oakwood Hospital. I was one of three managers and my role was the corporate piece. So I would go into the various factories like General Motors and Ford and help them set up programs that would help improve health and the wellness of the workers. So things like smoking cessation or exercise or walking program. But I miss cancer. I think for me, I was sort of, you know, still interested in that cancer piece. I switched from Oakwood Hospital in Detroit to the University of Michigan's Comprehensive Cancer Center um, in Ann Arbor as an administrative director of the bone marrow transplant clinic. And as a clinic director, my role was to support the nurses, social workers, and physicians that were providing care for cancer patients through the bone marrow transplant center. So I was working in a role more of an administrator. Good position. Again, I was, I think, on the younger side of of my career. And I just think that, how do I say this in a kind way? (laughs) I think the (laughs) politics of working for a very large cancer center or hospital healthcare center kind of got to me as a young person. Again, I didn't understand that there's this, you need to learn the balance between budgeting and providing care for patients and that sort of thing. And I think I was so concerned with the patients getting everything they needed. Mm. And I was getting frustrated that they wanted me to spend more time on the budgeting. So when 9-11 happened, 9-11 happened while I was there. And I spent the whole day trying to keep the clinics open and getting, making sure the patients got their chemotherapy. But it was very, you know, it was a hard day because everybody was distracted by the televisions. And when I went home that night and had a chance to sort of reflect on the day, I think I, it hit me like, you know, there are people, there are still women that I go to church with or I live with who are dying from breast cancer, Black women, young Black women who are dying from breast cancer before the age of 40. And I'm working at one of the best, if not <laughs> the best, yeah. cancer center in the country. And I'm pushing papers. I yeah. am writing budgets and processing grants, which again, I think is a wonderful thing for those people who want to do that. But I was, again, it was confusion for me because I was going back to the community and people were dying from breast cancer and I couldn't understand the disconnect. Mm-hmm. I think it was then that I decided to get a PhD because I wanted to do more than just right budgets. I wanted to be, again, boots on the ground with the people, trying to get more people into care for cancer. I decided to get a PhD and I I had started working for a professor of social work at the University of Michigan School of Social Work, an African-American man who had a program where he encouraged more people of color and women in the academic academy. So he was trying to encourage more people of color and women to get PhDs and to work in the field. He had a program, a national program. It connected faculty of color and women from across the uh, country online with each other so they could write papers together, they could write grants together, they could mentor each other, senior people could mentor junior people. And I was the administrator for this program. Oh, nice. And I remember asking him one day, <laughs> because here I was 
a young black female who was like, I had never actually experienced a black professor before because I went to all pretty much predominantly white institutions. Mm. And I asked him, can I do this? I had no idea that people did. Literally, I think this was the first time I realized that people could do more in this area of health than just be a doctor. Mm-hmm. That there were other people that were helping, besides being a doctor and a nurse, there were other ways to help. And I could actually get a PhD and make a difference. And he said, of course. And so he helped me. And I ended up starting my PhD program at the at Washington University in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And my advisor there had just received a big grant to do a community-based participatory research project on the north side of the city with African-American women in breast cancer, which was perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I became her student for five years and I worked in the community and conducted research projects and helped to decrease barriers to care for women, African-American women in in St. Louis. And after graduating with my PhD, I became a professor at at New York University at the School of Social Work there. And then came to Texas as a visiting faculty member and loved it. And so now I am a assistant professor at the School of Social Work mm-hmm. at the University of Texas. And I'm also an assistant professor of oncology and health social work at Dell Medical School, working with Livestrong and your initiatives. I think I am now at the stage where I'm ready for a position like this again coming full circle from my position with the University of Michigan Cancer Center and with the American Cancer Society, I feel like I've learned a lot and I've grown a lot. And I think I want to say that to the young people who are listening to this, to not be afraid to take that first job, even if it's not the perfect job, to not be afraid to explore and to try different things because you never know where it's going to lead. If you had told me 20 years ago that I would be in Texas working for Livestrong and for, and for the School of Social Work at the University of yeah. Texas, I would have laughed because there was no way I was probably going to ever leave Michigan. Yeah, But, you know, I think that, and I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a perfect fit for me. And so I just feel like I, I talk to a lot of young people and, and when they come out of their bachelor programs, I think they feel like they need to get that perfect job or they have to go to medical school or they, they have so much pressure on themselves to be perfect at 22 years old. And I don't think you need to be perfect at 22 years old. I actually think sometimes exploring some options can help shape who you are as a young professional. And if you still decide to go get a medical doctorate, that's great. We need MDs who care about diversity and who care about equity. So I applaud that. But I also applaud if you want to explore and if you want to talk and have mentors and do research projects with mentors to see if you want to be more in a different field. So I'm very happy having a PhD and doing the work that I do to decrease cancer disparities and improve equity for people facing cancer. To go back a little bit further for you, you've told me in other conversations that we've had together about how when you were a really young person, the only way you thought you could really help people was to be a doctor, right? So it yes. made sense to me that you went off to college saying, I'm going to be a doctor because that's how exactly. to help people. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe even just yes. reiterate that for the sake of this episode of this podcast? Yes. I was around the age of seven, eight, or nine years old when my grandmother died. My grandmother was 47, I think. My mother's mother, I think, was wow. 47 when she died. Wow. And she died from complications 
from a mental illness as well as drug dependency. Eventually she had liver damage and, and passed away from liver damage. But And so my mother was the oldest of all of she So mom has five sisters and one brother. When I was born, my mom was 17 and the youngest one was nine. So they were all in wow. between nine and 17. And I sort of came along as part of the pack, right? Yeah, yeah. So I just remember the day that my grand died, I felt like the society or the world or whatever had let me down and had let my family down. Yeah. I felt like that somebody should have done more to help my grandmother and someone let us down and that no other child, no other eight-year-old should ever have to face what I did. And I was yeah. determined to grow up and make sure that didn't happen. So I was going to become a doctor and I was going to become the secretary of health and human services. And I was yes. going to make sure <laughs> yes. that no other family went through what our family went through. And as an eight-year-old, I had no idea what I was. <laughs> sure. I just thought I had to be a doctor because those were the, yeah. that was the only career I knew about. Was that and I and I figured that was you know only doctors affected healthcare. Mm-hmm. So I grew up wanting to be a doctor, and my whole all the way through Michigan, I was pre med, and I was determined that that's what I was going to do. Until I got to Chicago, and I was exposed to social services and health administration. I love that story. I so still much. think that I'm helping families. I hope that I'm helping families. You know, you're absolutely helping families, and I think. Not that I've known you for very long, but it's so it's so easy to see your gift of being able to connect with people. You spend just a couple minutes with you, and yes, you, I mean, I feel like yeah. you really are using your gifts to make such an incredible difference. Yeah, it's funny. Along those lines, when I was in St. Louis and I was interviewing, I would go into the home to interview African-American women about their the process that they had to go through to connect with care between the community and the community health clinics and connecting with cancer care downtown at the cancer center. Like what was that process like? Like what, what steps did they have to go through and who did they talk to? Who did they come in contact? Who helped them? That sort of thing. So I went into the homes and I interviewed them and I'd spend time with them. And it was so interesting how, like, like you just said, like I built this sort of rapport and trust with them from the moment they opened the door. And I think in part because they didn't expect a young mm-hmm. black woman to be on the other side of the door because sure. I was a PhD student. And I think again, because not, they're not exposed to too many PH, black PhDs when they opened the door and they saw a black female PhD student, they were like, Oh, and I really yes. got that a lot. Like, <laughs> are you the student from Wash U? And I'm like, yes, it's me. Hi. I had my badge. <laughs> and they're like, come on in baby. Yes. And, you yes. know, I'm an invited to Sunday dinner. I think that there was some sense of pride from the community in my PhD so that when I wrote my dissertation, the women that were part of my dissertation and the community that shared with me, they had a sense of pride and accomplishment in helping lift me into that role. It was a very overwhelming and emotional experience for me because I didn't expect that. I expected it from my family, but not from the family of women that I was seeking to help. What an incredible experience to to end up sort of being folded into this pack of women. They are supporting you and you're supporting them and you're all sort of lifting each other up to help others, right? Like the the research Mm -hmm. that you're doing will then go on to help other communities. So I wonder then... 
that chapter of your life is seems beautiful, right? And then you end up here in Texas. And I know recently you've done some work in rural Texas, mm-hmm. totally different set of individuals, right? Like you're moving mm-hmm. from to a totally different region. So urban environments to rural environments. Yeah. Exactly. And so I wonder, can you talk a little bit about the the work that you've mm-hmm. recently done here in Texas? So there's two different things. I did a cancer project with Livestrong in rural Texas, and I did a access to mental health project with the Health and Human Services Commission through the state okay. of Texas. Gotcha. Okay. And I see them kind of at some point emerging. But the yes. knowledge that I gained over the last two years from traveling around the whole state of Texas and getting to talk to communities in rural areas of Texas was, I think, just invaluable, right? So it's just sort of like a masterclass in rural Texas. Like I literally didn't just read about their experiences. I actually, we actually, I drove out there with the Health and Human Services Commission and I actually like set up these community meetings where I actually did a, a research method called group model building. But just for sake of the students who are listening, it's basically pulling together a group of community residents to talk about what's it like to connect with care? What's it like to be in their shoes? What's needed in their community Mm -hmm. to connect with care? We also met with service providers. So we met with service providers. We met with sheriffs, judges, uh, emergency room workers, nurses, and community members to sort of talk about access issues. So I have patients and their family there's administrators who actually have some say in what's delivered. And then the nonprofits who are trying to provide that bridge or those services in the community, boots on the ground services. Yes. Talking about what's the disconnect and how can we connect this. And as a result, I heard and learned a lot of different, you know, heard the voices. So this is how I see my work. Like my role is to bring the voice of the community to the table. So when Dr. Eckhart says, Lelia, what are you hearing from the community about this? I can say, here's some of the narratives I've heard from the community about what's needed to connect people with care. Do you see this across the cancer world that cancer centers are bringing in other Dr. Noels to figure out sort of the barriers? Do other yeah. cancer centers do this? you know, pushing this concept forward, I think it will become more of a, of a push moving forward. Right. And and also I think our current climate that we're in right now, where we talk about racial divisions and health equity and inequities. Mm -hmm. And I think the young people are demanding it, which is again, another reason why this podcast is so wonderful because the people who are listening to this, they're the future of our country and they're going to demand that. Right. Yeah. When they get jobs, when they're going for for jobs, they're going to be asking, is this something that you care about? And so I mm-hmm. think that, that it's, it's moving with proper leadership. It's moving in the right direction. What have I not asked that I should have? Oh, I know one question you did. What would I say to my younger self was something Ooh. you said earlier. Yes. What would you say to your younger self? I think that if I was talking to that eight-year-old or seven-year-old, however old I was, when I was laying on that bed talking to God about the death of my grandmother, I think I would, be, I would encourage her and I would say to her, yes, you're on the right track. Stay strong. Stay encouraged. You will come in contact with a lot of mentors along the way. And 30 years down the line, you are going to be making a difference in women's lives. <laughs> yes. 
you're going to, I would say to myself, you're going to get tired a lot along the way. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah. give up. <laughs> With that message of don't give up, I think I often look at the healthcare system honestly is like so broken and so backward sometimes that I get discouraged. I look at it and go like, this yes. thing is just busted. I'm so angry, right? Yes. And, you know. So yes. how do you stay the course? Keep and going. Not- you know, when I was exposed to a community in the far side side of Chicago and they had all of this environmental social isolation and they were suffering from all kinds of health concerns, I could have gotten discouraged by how I was feeling. Right. But instead, I let that I let that confusion and that despair push me to make a difference. And so I started yes. working for the American Cancer Society. So I would say to be energized by those feelings that it's okay to empathize and it's okay to feel this, you know, heartbroken. But let that hurt and that anxiety and that discourage and that exhaustion push you to make a difference, yes. push you down a different path. Don't let it discourage you to the point where you throw your hands up and say, there's no future in this because there is. And I think that everyone listening to this call can make a difference in their own way. You, you may never be the secretary of health and human services, but you might be the best darn community health worker there's anyone's ever seen or nurse practitioner. We need need all all of everybody, all of Yeah. We each need each other. We can't do this without each other. I encourage all of our middle school, high school, and undergrads who are listening to this to not give up. And I applaud you for listening to the podcast. I think that you are going to be amazing healthcare professionals, no matter what you decide to do. Thank you, Dr. Noel. Thanks, Kristen. To hear more from Dr. Noel, she's got a great talk on the Living Beyond Breast Cancer site, lbbc.org, called Breaking Down Barriers, Getting the Care You Deserve. You can also read more about her on the UT Austin website, utexas.edu. You can find out more about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes at delmed.utexas.edu. You can find out more about the Livestrong Cancer Institutes Clinic with UT Health Austin at uthealthaustin.org. If you have questions for Lelia, or if you have other cancer questions that we can uncover, please reach out and email us at livestrongcancerinstitutes at delmed.utexas.edu. Please make sure institutes is plural. You can also follow our chair, Dr. Gail Eckhart, on Twitter at S. Gail Eckhart. Eckhart is spelled E-C-K-H-A-R-D-T. This is Kristen Wynn signing off this month for Cancer Uncovered. Thank you for listening and learning with us.